Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space, and one another one of our bonus episodes. Between seasons, we're just giving you some extra content. We're dipping back into the uh, the archives and uh, giving you something a little bit special. I'm Scott Weatherly, you're one of your regular hosts, and as usual, I'm joined by Julian. Julian, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited that we, we get to have all these episodes without really having to do any work. Yes, yeah. the du- the double dipping effect is fantastic, and I'm uh, I'm all for repurposing things. Um, and this one in particular actually had a very small audience, uh, which was which was tragic in its own right, to be perfectly honest. Um, but uh, yeah, we this is for Flash Gordon, the 1980 Flash Gordon, the Queen soundtrack and all. Um, and Flash, ah. Yeah. Every day, how often is it? Gordon's alive. <laughs> yes, and there are quotes throughout this uh, throughout this review, but this was done for Patreon uh, some time ago uh, when I had a Patreon for Twentieth Century Geek, and I had I had a single Patreon, uh, so it seems like only only proper that more people get to get to listen to this review. Um, well, I, so, I'm especially excited about it because you know you and I. I mean, this is a perfect example of why it's good to let listeners get this again, um, or in this case, for the first time, because you and I reference Flash Gordon in like every other episode of Stories yeah, Out of Time. Yeah, Space. yeah. <laughs> it's it's clearly an important film to the pair of us. I think it's uh, yeah to to actually address it as well. It's it is it's such a keystone of like twentieth uh, century sort of sci fi pop culture as well. So we we have to cover it. Um, as I say, it's it's a it's a previous one from from a recording, so the recording quality is probably not as good as as this. But uh, no, it's a great review, and uh, I actually think it's one. Of, it is a really good. Honestly, it's one of our better ones. But it's a really good discussion, actually. So, um, uh, yeah. So just deal in. with that. Deal with that recording quality, people. Suck it. Yeah, up. that's it. Just, yeah, <laughs> that's it. Just take it. Take the hit for this one. Uh, but for the for now. Uh, that's it. Jump in the rocket ship and travel to Mongo for Julian and I to discuss Flash Gordon. So what we'll start with is is a quick... We'll start with a quick recap of the plot. Because uh, we are just discussing one film, really. So I'll start with a summary of the film. It's pretty much off the cuff. So... Um, the fil- I'm trying to think where to start. Well, the film starts with, with Flash Gordon and Dale Arden meeting on a plane... Um, we t- it, we learn that Flash Gordon's a known uh, quarterback football player. Uh, Dale Arden, I think, is a is a um, a holiday rep or a, a um, something like that. Um, while in the midst of taking off, the Earth is attacked by Ming the Merciless, uh, which causes all kinds of catastrophic um, geological and weather events. Um, 
And their plane it crash lands uh, into Dr. Hanzarkov's uh, greenhouse laboratory. Um, he forces them above, uh, aboard a shuttle spaceship that, upon taking off, uh, is pulled into uh, the Imperial Vortex uh, and allowed to land. And they land uh, whilst unconscious but safe on Mongo, uh, the Imperial homeworld of Ming the Merciless. Uh, from there, they are taken prisoner, presented to Ming, uh, and to cut a long story short, um, Flash Gordon saves the day, defeats Ming, and I think we need to talk about some of the, some of the uh, campy clothes involved. So <laughs> we will get stuck into it. So what? what what's your, this released in 1980? So it's been around for a while. So I'm not going to be too worried about spoilers, and it's also incredibly straightforward. So there are very few spoilers. Um, with it being around for quite a while, when, what was your first exposure to Flash Gordon, the film? Uh, it was probably the Queen soundtrack. Mm. Um, I, I, I think I was, I mean, I was about four. And I turned four in 1980, so mm. I did not see this in theaters, and I don't really remember it playing on the telly, but I do remember hearing uh, the Queen soundtrack, and then at some point watching Flash Gordon and sort of having no idea what to make of it. And I think it wasn't until later when I was in college that I saw it and, uh, you know, could appreciate it at all. I think as a, as a kid, it was just, uh, um, you know, too campy for me. I didn't really understand the tone. Um, it didn't make sense to me at the time. What about you? No, I think that's very, you've rock, you've very nail on the head really. It's the same with me. It's one of those where I think during the 80s, um, you know, the Queen soundtrack, and especially the, the, just the Flash Gordon, the song Flash, was incredibly prevalent on every 80s party album. And I think every kid's party I went to played it. So it was, that was in, was in my, you know, um, pop culture environment. I just don't. I think as a kid, I say I don't remember knowing what it was from. I just thought it was some cool song I really enjoyed. And I don't think it was until I was in secondary school, so probably my sort of mid-teens, early to mid-teens. I think yeah, it, it, I remember seeing it on uh, Channel Four uh, one evening, um, and just I remember seeing it on advertising, thinking and, and hearing the song <laughs> over the advert, and thinking, ah, oh, right, that's that's what it's for. And, and like yourself, watching it and thinking, like, I, I don't know what this is. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, really, I think thinking at the time, like, not entirely sure, like, the context um, of this film. You know, I think in the, in the, being a teenager in the 90s and having sort of, like, you know, heavy metal and grunge as my sort of baseline, <laughs> to, to then be introduced to this camp sci-fi romp saga i don't know um was a bit jarring i think would probably the best way to describe it yeah and i and i think that it even colored my impressions of queen overall um you know queen was always something that i appreciated musically but it was odd uh i mean i remember like when bohemian rhapsody was in wayne's world and you know, it was just kind of like, 
well, this is catchy, but why is everybody so in love with this? Like, is this mm. a pin joke that I just don't get? Yeah. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, it, 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 so I think it kind of colored my impressions of Queen as, as thinking of Queen as like, I mean, you can't deny the musical talent of Freddie Mercury, but mm. at the same time, um, it, it, it just seemed a little off. I wasn't sure how to take it, you know, how serious it was. Yeah, it's a, it's an odd one because I actually listened to uh, whilst I was doing the garden this morning. I listened to the entire score, um, all the way through, and there's very little like you, said, you know Freddie Mercury's got a fantastic voice, really you know powerful, um, but there's very little Freddie Mercury in this. It is it isn't a score, yeah. you know, and and so it's the rest of the band stepping up, um, but but actually stepping aside from the film and just listening to the music it's it's a really quite interesting combination there's elements that's quite I might say it's complex but it's pitch perfect for the film oh but for sure they, they seem to they seem to get what it is they were doing um, yeah it's a great match I mean and it's really uh, to a great extent that match that makes it uh, you know so stand out Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I think that that title sequence, while a little dated with, you know, with some of the same Alex Raymond art, you know, repeated and repeated and repeated, mm. um, you know, still, uh, a great title sequence. And I think it kind of sets, uh, Flash Gordon away from, or apart from, uh, sort of other kind of failed or forgotten 1980s, even early nineties, that whole era of, you know, pop culture and superhero kind of movies where, you know, a lot of stuff like, you know, The Rocketeer, uh, I mean, there was there were several others that just were more based on original properties, but uh, have just kind of disappeared. And oh. Flash Gordon has survived. Yeah, and I know what you mean. I, I totally agree, because um, that, that, that period, it, that, from about 1980 to 1995, there, there was this repetitive attempt to keep bringing certain um like copyright free heroes uh, like super you know those sort of characters into uh, the movies and um you know you you have uh like say flash gordon really stands apart and other films that sort of follow that track i think um uh, warren Beatty's uh, dick tracy whilst not a great film again i applaud it because it takes a real a stylistic stance you know it really tries to emulate a comic um you know with its colors and its tone and that sort of thing and then you get the more bland ones like the phantom the rocket oh, i quite enjoy the rocketeer but the rocketeer the shadow um yeah and they all do just sort of like they fall into that sort of there was a reason that they they just didn't quite move um and so yeah i, I think when they made the, the flash the flash um i think they made some very brave uh, choices. Well, I, I'm a huge fan of the the Warren Beatty, Dick Tracy, mm. uh, and, and there again, you have um, you have the soundtrack stands out. I mean, there's a a great Madonna album tied to it, mm. and even though Madonna isn't at, doesn't have the cachet now that she did then, um, it was kind of like there was the Danny Elfman soundtrack and the. Um, or score and the Madonna soundtrack the same way they had done a Prince album plus a Danny Elfman score for Batman. Yeah. And, 
you know, so there again, music kind of helped set those two, besides both of them are so visually unique, uh, apart from some of those others. Oh, and that's what I mean. I think, and maybe, you know, I think, well, we, I think we'll have to save Dick Tracy and do a, a, a review in the future because I do think that's an underrated film and needs revisiting. Uh, oh, yeah. Because it, it is. I think even the cast, just going to say, like, you've got Warren Beatty, granted, you've got Madonna, but you've still got, like, Al Pacino. Yeah. Uh, it's got some really, like, <laughs> I, 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 it is when you sort of, especially when you see Al Pacino in it, you do sort of go, I'm I'm curious to what as to what his agent told him this was gonna be, um, <laughs> but yeah, maybe yeah, f- <laughs> yeah it, it's kind of the beginning of the decline of Pacino. I mean, he's still got like I, I guess scent of a woman is a little after that, and mm. uh, Devil's Advocate, but uh, you know, it's kind of the early indications that you know, sort of seventies Pacino has come and gone. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the time. But, it's, I mean, it's... even no, go on. Well, I, I was just going to talk about Flash Gordon. That, mm, uh, no, no, yeah, you know, I, I remember being confused as a kid because the the Alex Raymond comics weren't readily available to me. I mean, I I had, you know, there weren't really a lot of graphic novels. I mean, I was picking up the early graphic novels, you know, by the mid to late 80s, but there weren't a lot available. And, you know, back then you had to track down back issues mm. and... Flash Gordon was like a character who I saw in ads in comics, but I never read comics about Flash Gordon. And I would see like art and I knew Alex Raymond was a big deal, but I didn't really understand what Flash Gordon was. Uh, It didn't really fit into my kind of like pop culture universe yet. Yeah. Um, and, And I even remember as a kid thinking like, what is his relationship to DC's Flash? Like, yeah. You know, no, I, I agree. It makes sense to me. <laughs> no, I agree. It's a, it's it's weird. I think again, I'm you know when I think back to when I watched. By the time I watched it, um, as you say, I, I hadn't had exposure to um, the comics. You know, especially in Britain. I, don't, I even now they're quite hard. There's a couple of like um, archive editions, and you know they do they've mm-hmm. done that sort of thing. You can get hold of, but it's not. They're quite expensive. They're not. You know, they're not. I wouldn't say readily available. Um, but the thing, the, the, there's a cartoon that I remember from the sort of late 80s, early 90s during that fight. It's called Defenders of the Earth. And it was mm-hmm. Flash Gordon, the Phantom, Mandrake, uh, the Magician, um, and their kids. And so, like, there was a, obviously, like, Flash Gordon was in that. But it's, a, like, it's an older Flash Gordon, he's got kids, and it, it, it completely unrelated to this film. So, again, I remember watching that and then watching this and thinking. Yeah, I've no idea how these two relate. I don't know what this is, um, and so yeah, I say knowing the context of this film um, as well, especially the era. So it could be, you know, in nineteen eighty, um, is an interesting time for it as well because it's coming. It's post Star Wars. Um, you know, people are right. clamoring for more space and sci fi stuff, um, but this is, I would say, more Barbarella than than Star Wars. Yeah, I was thinking about that a lot in preparation for this podcast and, you know, thinking, you know, a lot of the times in retrospect, you think, what the hell were they thinking? Mm. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, I, mean, I love Barbarella. I think oh, yeah, Barbarella yeah. is amazing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, post-Star Wars, I mean, you have, you know, so many attempts to cash in on that and, 
you know, so often they failed and were stupid. But, I mean, this goes in such a different direction. And there's, you know, there's no way that I can imagine somebody thought, oh, yeah, that Star Wars crowd is going to like a super campy movie <laughs> about a football player, you know? Yeah. Uh, it was so obviously like Lucas the Geek. I mean, that's another thing that sticks out to me is that, you know, I, fly, I found fly, I, I love planetary fiction, right? I mean, I mm. love like Adam Strange. I love, you know, um, I love these stories, the kind of like, you know, 50 sci-fi romance absurdity of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, these planets can never get their act together until the manly man from Earth shows <laughs> yeah. up, you know? <laughs> you know, oh, man. Uh, you know, and that definitely fits into some sort of imperialist themes of, you know, the white savior that yeah. he's talked about. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, what I don't know what they were thinking with uh, uh, making it so campy. And, and apparently there was some... I, I haven't been able to find a whole lot on the on the production, but apparently there was some sort of discussion of uh, them not caring enough about the the script, and the script was being rewritten, and uh, nobody really cared. You know, Dino De Laurentiis uh, didn't really care. You know, if Flash was likable or if he had any personality, um, and well, it strikes me as so odd. It does. Well, this, this is the, so. I did some digging, and, and uh, in some of the material I've got on the uh, uh, the edition I've got, they've got these little notes, and I did some stuff online. And uh, about halfway through production, a lot of people seem to be saying, and, this, and Brian Blessed seemed to echo this on uh, an interview I saw with him, um, Dino De Laurentiis completely just sort of like cut ties with this production. Like he was obviously still doing it, but he was a bit like, whatever's going to happen. Like it's it's. I think he was in that phase like there was other things going on. He was just like, it's doing it. Like let it do its thing. Um, but the more I looked into it, you say well, me about the script. The amount of stuff in this that has been ad libbed is incredible. Um, you know, there's moments where you sort of go, "Oh, that's a great bit. Like, yeah, that's a really good line. Oh, that was ad libbed. Oh, that's a really good reaction. Yeah. That was really well directed. No, that was ad libbed." And it's just sort of like, "Oh, right. So this was chaos, and it's all luck that it just <laughs> fell, it fell into place." Um, and that seemed to be like Brian Blessed uh, at one point in this interview. So he described it as pleasant pandemonium, and it sounds like he was just having the time of his life, you know, and, and <laughs> um, just sort of I can imagine, you know. And you, I think he, it really shows on his performance that he is clearly just like he thinks this is hilarious, and he's just going to keep going and, and being um, himself. Really, I think more than anything. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah no, I, right. I mean, I, I think another thing that stopped me from uh, from sort of identifying with it is, you know, it seems so strange that, you know, obviously, like, Luke Skywalker is such an outsider. I mean, mm. you know, uh, you know, Superman was a big success after that. That was kind of sci-fi. I mean, you know, he's such an outsider. I mean, we're so used to, you know, our heroes being geeky and nerdy. And here's this jock who, like, yeah. has no interior space whatsoever except swagger and confidence. Well, this is it. I mean, this, I've got one of my notes here that, I'm, you know, that I've written about halfway through. And I've just put, is this a parody or not? Like, I don't know. Because <laughs> at the start, he's, like, you know, he's, a, he's a dumb jock, like you say. And like, he has no real right to be the hero of this. But I'm like, are they, are they actually making some satirical point about 
America's place in things. I don't know. Am, am I reading too much into this? I, and then, then it's sort of like he becomes the hero, and because of the way it's portrayed, and you know the uh, he he uh, the music and everything like you do get behind him, and I'm really enjoying, um, you know the 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 adventure of it all. That I sort of forget, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe it's not a parody. Maybe it's just a simple adventure, and I'm reading too much into it. But it's there, I think, to be read into. Oh, yeah. Well, it definitely straddles that line. I mean, at the very least, it doesn't take itself seriously. No. I mean, uh, rewatching it, uh, I mean, it, it actually opens with, um, I had completely forgotten that it opens with Ming, you know, using his, you know, sort of like Cobra-style weather dominator <laughs> to, uh, you know, cause earthquakes and volcanic yeah. eruptions. and You know, and I'm thinking like, is this like a climate change denial thing? Like, <laughs> there's a thing, the merciless out there, like heating up the planet. Uh, this is so bizarre. I mean, the merciless played by Al Gore. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> but there's, do you know what you say that the opening has got one of the you know they say about a parody when um, <laughs> there's a bit where they sort of they talk about all this stuff and they say um, what the, the 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 inhabitants call it. Earth, and he's never heard of it before. Later on, there's a there's a control panel about all the things he's doing to the planet, and one of them says earthquake. <laughs> right, right. So like, yeah. they've, they've named it later at some point. There's stuff like that. You think, <laughs> yeah, but um, well, yeah. I mean, there's no attempt to really make sense or, or be very realistic. Um, and I, I mean, I even think when you know the the wingmen uh, spell out thanks at the end. You know, <laughs> there, there are those weird moments where you think like, oh, they clearly know English. Yes. Yeah, that's right. I've been listening to English this whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's the universal it's language thing. across all dimensions. That's true. Um, yeah, there's no TARDIS explanation. It's just, you know, yeah. <laughs> the cosmos speaks English, right? That's Duh. it. It's the simplest. It's the, well, I'm British. Uh, I am English, so of course it does. You know, it it, yes. it it dates back to the Victorian era when we conquered everything. Is the uh, is what is the simple answer? Um, well, you know, as they say, the sun's never set on the British Empire. <laughs> there is um, the other thing you talk about the sort of uh, the suns and stuff. One thing that I, I I noticed in this version actually that I was initially raised was uh, I felt like there was a a Wizard of Oz element to this film as well. Um, mm-hmm. The whole start of this film is set. That you know, you have the airport and the plane, and then uh, um, Doctor Zarkov's uh, laboratory. All of it is very muted. Like they're all wearing um, browns or sort of like you know white and and very muted sort of colours. They then get onto the rocket ship. They're knocked unconscious, and when they wake up, they wake up in one of the most colourful and amazingly art directed. Um, empires ever um yeah you know and they are literally taken to the wicked witch it really feels like there's a i, I hadn't thought of it before until this there's a real there is a it feels like a, a wizard of oz um scenario that color change the palette change and everything yeah i haven't thought about that scott but I mean, that's brilliant uh i mean there's there's a paper to be written there for sure uh it's definitely that kind of uh you know and that also kind of colors you know what happens is kind of like surreal fantasy, um, but then, but then there's that odd line about uh, like 
you you're journeying out into space without knowing what wonder or what awaits you there you know mm. <laughs> and, you know it feels like a line out of like 2001 or some like you know serious sci-fi movie or something and that always cracks me up like you know you foolish humans yeah. you've been going into <laughs> outer space and you didn't know that Ming the Merciless is out there and <laughs> There are, that's what I'm saying. Like there are like moments, there are, and I'm sure you'll probably find that was probably ad libbed. But there was there are moments in this that are really like you do that you, you go. That's a really good point. Yeah, he says you feeble humans, you know, you fling yourself into space not knowing what awaits you, sort of thing. And you do think that's that's quite a deep line, you know. It's quite it's quite threatening. But then like he probably does he just tops it with an evil cackle, and you're like, oh, there it is. There's the uh, the mustache twirling again. Um. Wasn't... Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, what's so weird to me is that, I mean, I don't think that, you know, that what I've seen of the, the Raymond comics are not camp like this. I mean, they're, they're you know, old-fashioned, mm. and they're planetary fiction, but, uh, you know, in Raymond's art style, what I love about it is that it's so realistic. Yes. It seems in such contrast to uh, what we're seeing, and... You know, I mean, I'm really interested in kind of, you know, retrofuturism and and this kind of the exuberance of some of the sci-fi of earlier decades where it's like, you know, why wouldn't there be people living on the moon? Mm. Uh, why wouldn't there be, uh, a, you know, a planetary society like this? Um, you know, that it, it, it seemed a little more realistic at the time. And I don't know if by 1980 it just... It was like, yeah, we can't take this stuff seriously, or or what was going on there. I know, I do think that's the case. I think, I think this is a film out of time. Uh, like I say, this is a film that, if this had been made, um, and obviously you probably wouldn't have got the production and all that kind of thing. But if this was made between, I don't know, nineteen fifty five and about nineteen sixty two, sixty three, I think this would have been held, and it would probably have had a slightly different tone, but it would have been held as a more serious. Even even as it looks and as it looks and everything, I think it would have been taken as a bit more of a one of those B movie, you know, sci-fi films. Um, you know, probably close yeah. to like Forbidden Planet or um, one of those. I, I do seriously think this is a film out of time. Yeah, and I and I love that that sort of older school sci-fi, and mm. I think you're exactly right. I mean, you know, and that's kind of. It's also sort of like at that juncture point where, you know, it's post-Star Wars, but Star Wars is really science fantasy. I mean, it's not, you know, mm. I, it's not serious science fiction, um, I hate to say. But, you know, um, you can see somebody kind of saying like, well, you know, we can't really do this realistically. You know, those kids, they just like the fantasy elements anyway. You know, we can't have lightsabers, but we can't have the most flamboyant, wonderful costuming ever. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's sort of where it goes, isn't it? They were like, well, what can we do? What do we want to do? It's, I have to admit, though, I can't see who they are on the credit, but whoever did the um, the art design, you know, the art direction on this, they went to town, and I think it's amazing that they did. I mean, um, the sets in this... I mean, Ming's throne room um, and the spaceship designs and um, uh, what's it, Baron's homeworld, um, Voltan's 
floating sort of palace, all of it. The design is incredible and detailed and so, so bold that. Oh yeah. It's incredible. I just I think it's fantastic. I mean, um, yeah, yeah, I was a bit taken aback. I hadn't remembered how. I mean, I knew I remember it being colourful, but not how much was actually put into. Um, the design of all these, but not just the design of the sets. I mean, the one thing that I found incredible was each of the cultures have got def- like d- definition. You know, you can yeah. tell who's a Hawkman. You can tell who is one of the, the, the tree people or from Arborea. You can tell, you know, all those different races have got definite cultural looks and they seem consistent. I think it's incredible that they've managed to keep that whilst this other chaos is going on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I do remember, uh, that's a good point about the different the different factions, the different cultures. Uh, you know, I, I do remember the the set design and the, and the costume design, but it, it's amazing to me how often, like, what they do in it is, like, uh, have Flash play a football game. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, what are you thinking? You've got such an awesome set and everybody's assembled. Uh, why did the, is that what you want to do? Right, there are three. There are a couple of things about that scene. I I love that scene. Um, I think it makes me smile so much. Um, It's incredible. Um, But the fact that they're all they're all gathered around. uh, He breaks free. He gets broken. He gets beaten in a fight until he gets tossed. I think what's an egg, basically, Um, and he turns it into a football match. I love the fact that the guards that he goes against are basically wearing. I'm just looking at a picture of them. They are wearing glitter shoulder like American football pads. Like they are wear and helmets. Yes. Um it's it's such a good setup. Because um, then at the end of it, like Clytus the, the, the general Clytus brings them all in and says, He appears to be playing some sort of primitive game. Go and beat him. But at no point does anyone pull out a gun and just shoot him. <laughs> yes. Or, or, or even, uh, I mean, there's that weird, like, glove gun at the beginning when they capture him. Yeah. Uh, you know, where where did that come from? I mean, that's crazy, but, you know, I, I don't remember it being reused. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's very strange. And then, and then you have the, the minions kind of uh, clearly know uh, football formation, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a primitive Earth game, but they know the rules. Yeah. I think it's wonderful. Things like that are what make this film, like you say, it just stands out as it's incredibly silly, it's incredibly campy, but it's, it's, uh, it really is. Uh, and like the fact that like throughout it, you've got Brian Blessed um, just stood at the side- sidelines, he trips one of them up, then he hits him over the head with his yeah. uh, thing. And just sort of like the, the, uh, the look on his face and stuff and the way he plays it is so, again, pitch perfect. The cast in this... But you know, whatever the chaos was that was going on, I think they really do a great job. Um, yeah, well, he st- he steals the show for me with the sort of I think it he ends up knocking like three different guards on the head. Yeah, uh, and and then later he's so resistant to opposing Ming, but you know, like we've just watched the execution of somebody. He's taking his life in his hands by knocking these guards out, uh, but. It doesn't really make sense, but it's just such a charming, just sort of cut back to uh, Blessed's guilty look, yeah. or you know, mischievous little look on his face. And that's exactly what I mean. He is—he's like a—he is like a sort of like he's a, he's like a little schoolboy that's just been almost been caught out. That he's almost like, oh no, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But his face is covered in oh. chocolate. You know, it's. Uh... 
Yeah, he seemed to be playing it off as like, oh, an accident. Yes. I hit this guy on the head again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he he's it's fantastic in it. He is, and he's such a good... Um, apparently, like I say in the interview, he admitted that he was a big fan of the Flash Gordon serials and the comics, and, and Voltan was his favourite character. So this was almost like, for him, uh, was getting to play the character he played as a boy. So you could, I think that's why he's enjoying it so much. That's so awesome. I always love when, uh, you know, when you hear, uh, like, you know, one of the actors playing Doctor Who was grew up and they were a fan. And, yeah. you know, you can really tell that, uh, you know, they enjoy it. Yeah. But I, I, I was just thinking, doesn't don't you think that Timothy Dalton plays it more straight? Oh, Timothy Dalton's in a slot. He's the only one, I would say. Like, so you've got, like, everybody else, uh, whether it's... Um, you know, like Sam Jones or uh, Max von Sydow, um, or like you say, or um, Brian Blessed, or even uh, Richard O'Brien as you know, uh, Baron's sort of sidekick, are all they all know they're in um, this camp 60s, you know, Barbarella kind of thing. They all, I think they all get it. Timothy Dalton clearly doesn't, I think he thinks he's in. <laughs> He's on. He's in some sort of. Uh, I don't know if he's auditioning for Bond early or what. Yeah. Yeah. He's slightly in a different film. He thinks he's like in Dune or something, you know. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's yes. sort of the aberration in that cast where he. But then he does that. I think that's you know. I think when I've watched him in other things, it, it's not really till a lot later in his career that I think he he learned to take himself less serious. Um, yeah. I always get the feeling he was that very serious Shakespearean actor. Um, even when you watch his Bond films, it's a very dark Bond. It's it's quite a uh, oh, yeah. it's a serious sort of affair. Yeah, and I quite like his. I think his Bond films are underrated. Oh, I agree. I really do. I think. I think. Uh, um, what's the one? Not the first. Living Daylights. I think Living Daylights is really underrated. I think. It, yeah, it's really good. Um, well, people give all the credit to. Uh, the new ones for infusing realism, but, uh, you know, Dalton, uh, the Dalton films were, well, of a different tone, were, mm. you know, clearly an attempt to, to take Bond more realistic, which fits Dalton's kind of, you know, stenorious sort of Shakespearean uh, demeanor. Yes. Yeah, and I think he was a definite, he was the, he was the sort of the antidote to the, uh, the later uh, Roger Moore ones, I think, at the time. Um, I think it's just a shame oh, yeah. he didn't get to stretch his legs on anymore. Um, I think he had some more in him that would have been good. Oh yeah, I agree. Um, but you know, mm. we, we've talked about it being camp, and we've talked about um, um, so we, you know the campness of it all and that few things. But there's something in this film that, again, this, in this watching, really, I did, I it hadn't landed with me previously. And as I said before, like you know, I thought about make, uh, letting my daughter watch this, and there, there was a couple of things that really started to sort of think. Oh, I'm not sure would this, would she understand this or would it flow ahead? But this has got some real overtly sexual um, connotations in in you know multiple oh, yeah. scenes um, that I hadn't either picked up or I'd missed or I just forgotten about. I don't know, but yeah, th- this this gets. Um, there's some real suggestive stuff. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I, I guess I kind of like that stuff. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. But, 
you know, the I mean, you're thinking of like the Ming suggesting that uh, you know Flash can rule Earth and, and breed with uh, his daughter. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, you know stuff with Ming's daughter like that. Oh yeah, Ming's daughter. Uh, Ming's daughter is the interesting one because I mean, the, the the point. There's a couple of lines that always stand out to me. In, well, have stood out to me in this viewing when they Ming uses his ring on Dale Arden. Uh, when they're first brought to the um, uh, throne room, and she sort of reacts in a sort of like erotic kind of way, mm-hmm. doing some sort of erotic dance or thing, and Clyta says, "Interesting, she's almost as good as your daughter." Yeah. And Ming agrees, and I'm a bit like that. Mainly make me feel awkward. I was like, "Oh, that's, hmm, that's a little, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about that." Um. And the other line, yeah, really... well, it's, it's almost like they forgot uh, that she's his daughter uh, momentarily. Yes, exactly. And it's almost, it's, 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 yeah. um, and then uh, the other line that really, and especially in, in the modern climate, felt really uncomfortable is when again Dale Arden is in the uh, the, the harem and they give her some alcohol type uh, drink, and the the girl says to her, "He says, oh, she will this, will this make me forget?'" And she says, no, it won't make you forget, but it will it, it'll make you not mind remembering. Uh-huh. Which, again, is like, I was a bit like, ooh, yeah. that's not good. Yeah, that's definitely a pretty rapey scene. Yes. Uh, you know, sort of harem-like, uh, you know, but, it, but it, it does seem kind of like they're intentionally, uh, you know, skirting the limit there. Oh, um, yeah. What what rating is this in America? Out of curiosity, I I don't know. Uh, I assume it's it, it seems PG to me. Yes, uh, I was saying it's a PG here, so I was I was curious if there was a, a variant in the rating. Yeah, not not that I'm aware of. Mm. Um, <laughs> but this is probably uh, you know a, a fan made uncut version that gets yeah. more explicit on these points. Well, of course, there was you know there's the, there is the alternative versions that made that there was you know you, we we're discussing Flash Gordon, but of course there are Flesh Gordon, um, and that got a sequel. So, you know, maybe there is something to it. Yeah, well, I mean, definitely that that whole kind of planetary fiction subgenre was so infused with um, with sex. I mean, it was so infused with. You know the the white masculine man who, uh, you know, goes to the foreign planet. Typically, falls in love with an alien girl. She can't resist him. You know, he leads the rebellion, or, or he has that kind of, um, you know, uh, American can-do attitude, or, or what, what bravado, or whatever that is, mm. and you know, ignites a rebellion, or you know, beats the monster and wins the girl, and she's kind of there as a prize. Uh, and I feel like, I mean, this movie does, it definitely uses that, but it it seems to get out of that at least a little. Um, I mean, those, those two women have a little more agency, but they're definitely still just sort of, you know, prize figures. Oh, yeah, well, I agree. And I, I, I do think that there are there is some agency. Like, Dale Arden isn't, she isn't just a damsel in distress. I mean, she ends up being the damsel in the distress at the end, but she, she clearly has enough fight in her and an intelligence in her to escape and to stand up for herself. So she, like I say, she's quite, which is quite good. 
But even um, Aura, um, Princess Aura, like she's not just uh, like a figure of sex, or you know, I mean, she 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 clearly uses it. Like she's a clearly very intelligent uh, manipulator. Um, yes. Like throughout the film, you see that she's actually got an awful lot of control within the Empire, um, whether it be Prince Baron, uh, you know, Timothy Dalton. Um, she, she brings when she brings flashback. Um, the chief doctor, like she's even sleeping with him yeah. in order to c- control him. Um, and yeah. there's, other, you know, there's this other suggestion that, that she's got this own, her own palace somewhere that she, you know, she's got this place and she's using sex as a, as a, as a tool in order to gain control and power within the empire on the secret. So, you know, she, it's not as if she's just, she's just used for, eroticism like it, it's her she is using her feminine wiles as it were as a tool and everything it's quite interesting that you know she's not ever you uh, played to be st- st- i don't want to say stupid but you know she mm-hmm. she is in control oh yeah well and, and the contrast between her and dale uh, as sort of like one woman who embraces perhaps because of the backstabbing, you know, nature of this fascistic court, uh, her sexual power, and then Dale is a woman who is is less sexual or is Mm. more, uh, you know, comes from a different environment in which she, you know, presumably hasn't had to do that. Yeah, and the interest is a contrast. Um, I'm trying to think that, but they, but they... The interesting thing is that despite all, all of her um, manipulations and the clear thing that, like, you know, she, she, she throughout the first two acts, lies, cheats, manipulates to get to survive and to uh, get what she wants. For her to then say that she's had a change, she says to Prince Baron, I've had a change of heart and all this other stuff. And they all believe her again. I was just like, yeah. oh, no one learns in this film. <laughs> um, and she survives to the end. And I was a bit like, yeah. wow, fair play. You've survived all this and come through, you know, with the hero team. Yeah. Uh, although, I mean, it seems as if she's like, they kind of set up a love triangle and then, you know, get away from that at the end, uh, you know, to sort of, everybody winds up with somebody kind of uh, happy ending going on. They definitely. Well, they definitely feel that they, they write themselves into a couple of corners and they just sort of drop things. So they're a bit like, oh, we won't acknowledge that. Or like you say, they just sort of work out of them pretty quickly and like, oh, no, that, that wasn't really what we were meant and move away from it. Um, and yeah. I wonder if that's a, a, that was a, uh, a situation from the rewriting, the onset rewrites that were happening. Yeah, I, I wonder that too, and I I wonder like, was there any version in which Flash and Dale go home? Um, you know, is this set up for? I mean, a sequel. Obviously, there's like the end with Ming's ring and the question mark, and um, but uh, you know, was it was? It, it does seem strange that everything is wrapped up so neatly in a bow, and yet yeah. they don't go home. Well. Um... Again, in the interview I saw, Brian Blessed said he was signed for three films. Mm. So I assume, I would assume at least the primary cast would have been signed for similar. Um, yeah. So there was clearly thoughts of a, a sequel, um, you know, of a follow-on. Never thinking two more, really. So 
they were thinking ahead. Um, so yeah, no, I, I do think there were supposed to be further adventures of uh, Flash Gordon, you know, in this world, and they would have brought back Ming or something, or I don't know. But I mean, does does Flash have any other enemies, or is it always Ming? Every story I've ever read is always Ming. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's like Dan Dare, where you know, yeah. you know, get over it already. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's my impression. Hmm. Yeah, so that there could have been, there could have been um, more. They could have done something. It's just yeah. Uh, I say, unfortunately, it wasn't a success, sufficient success to gain a sequel. But um, I think it's one of those again. Though, but if it, if because it doesn't have a sequel, does that that help its its cult status as well? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, that's interesting. Uh, quite possibly. I mean, if it had a sequel that didn't have Queen and was a little more lower budget and, and, you know, did not look good and, and made some bad choices, you could see that kind of hurting the reputation. Um, on the other hand, I mean, you know, a, a sequel would have kept it in the minds of people, mm. um, you know, and, and maybe prevented you and my experience of kind of wondering, what am I looking at? What is yeah. this? Yeah, it's what it's. I mean, the year, I mean, I said this came out in 1980, and there does seem to be this sort of in the. Uh, it is in the early 80s. There's a couple of films that come out of this period that you do think have missed their mark by at least a decade, um, and I yeah. enjoy them both. I mean, there's this film, but also I, it, it, watching this, I also, I sort of I thought about um, the Harryhausen uh, Clash of the Titans that came out oh, in, yeah. in 1981. Um, and I remember watching that as a kid and lumping it very much in with uh, Jason and the Argonauts and Sinbad, you know, the Sinbad films and all those. And then it wasn't until I learned later on that I'm like, oh no, there's a vast, <laughs> there's, there's years between mm-hmm. those. And they think, Clash of the Titans, th- this film came out the same year as Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, oh yeah. That it really starts. I think there's just a couple of films then. I think this falls into it. That would, like I say, were just films out of time. Um, uh, and whilst I really enjoy Clash of the Titans, um, you know, it it doesn't stand up as uh, Clash of the Titans doesn't stand up to the test of time because it becomes across as very much a sort of um, you know sword and sandals kind of uh, fantasy film. Yeah. Very bugger, but this does stand the test on because it's so different. Um, yeah, I mean, and it, it, even though it's, it, it, you know, we have talked about how it's it's hard to place whether it's a parody mm. or you know, uh, you know, that the tone, um, you know, how much of it is the fantasy, it does seem so uniquely itself and and so committed to whatever acid trip it's doing, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, even when you're watching in the final battle, like the terrible sort of green screen stuff, um, <laughs> you know, I, I remember at what point the the the, the Hawkmen are, are sort of just flying in a line, and one of them gets shot and just falls out, and, and it looks like uh, for all the world like a carnival or something yeah, where yeah. you've got like ducks, you know, uh, and one of them is shot. Uh, it's so bad, but but it is so committed to its vision and i think that there's something to be said for that oh i agree and i think because it does it like 
like you say, wholeheartedly. It embraces. Um, it never shies away from it. I think is is part of its charm and part of why I think I enjoy it so much. Um, that yeah, it 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 holds up in that fashion of you know the absurdity of it. You know it. Yeah. Um, and I think there's others. Very- I, I have to ask: Am I the only one who like identifies with Ming? Who you know, like I identify myself. Like I kind of root for Flash Gordon, mm. but you know, I I. I root for him as I forget, you know, that he's a football player who crashed and yeah. happened into, you know, a rocket ship and ran some guy over when he crashed, just never mentioned again, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I do start to root for him, but I kind of like Ming. Oh, uh, yeah. He's so evil, but Max von Zietow is, is, is so great. And, you know, you know, I mean, if this is an authoritarian... Uh, sort of fascistic state uh, he plays it for the hilt and I find myself wondering like well you know he's got to fuse together all these different cultures you know I mean he's uh, you know he's got a tough job he's uh, you know united these people through force mm. and he's not a good guy but you know I do find myself kind of identifying with him at times oh no it, it, uh, they obviously have to make some sort of offering you know that um to Ming on a regular basis, whether it's annual or monthly or whatever, uh, and that's part of the throne, you know, the throne room. But right. th- but none of them seem poor. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you know, it's not like they're scraping and scrimping. I mean, at one point, like I say, that there's the um, the the Africa the, weirdly, and it sounds weird, but like the African nation in space um, that says that you know, due to hard times, we can offer nothing but our loyalty. Um, yes. And you think, okay, well, you've had some hard times, but you're still wearing an awful lot of gold. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I can't, I can't really think that you're having that much of a hard time. Um, well, and even when Ming orders that guy to kill himself to fall on a sword, mm. that guy betrays Ming, and so Ming was kind of right to doubt his loyalty. I mean, yeah. if Ming just has him killed, you'd think, oh, boy, what a terrible guy. But Ming seems to know this is all an act. Uh, you know, you're pretending to have this great fealty that you clearly don't. Let's test that, shall we? Yeah. Um, there's an intelligence in that that's at least admirable, even if he's a dictator. Well, you, you have a really good point, because the thing that's just struck me that um, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about to erase this is, well, what's the alternative because if you took Ming away, it's clear that Prince Baron and Voltan would be at war. Yes. So you'd have warring factions. That's all you'd end up having. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. Actually, it's like you know, well, he's he's unified. He's conquered and unified these these cultures and these nations, and yeah, you know, he's probably he probably quite heavily taxes them and all this other stuff. But they don't ever really show him. Um. You know he's you, you know he's evil because he, he you know he twirls his mustache and he does other bits and pieces. Yeah. But other than that, you never really see you know how he came to be like the conqueror of all these worlds. Did he inherit them? Did he did he conquer them? Well, you make a good point. And and if and if they did a you know Disney did that uh, Wizard of Oz prequel, mm. you know we could get a uh, Ming the Merciless origin story. I 
mean, they're all the rage. So, you know, Is stay it, yeah. tuned for Ming the Merciless sort of, you know, rising from nothing to fuse together these factions. Well, you know, is it... Uh, have you seen um, uh, Maleficent? The... Uh, the no, Angelina no, I have not. Um, it's all right. But the point of it is that the, you find out that sort of, you know, the evil um, witch, sorceress, whatever you want to call it, from Sleeping Beauty, like what you see in Sleeping Beauty is retaliation for something that the king did to this, you know, to the forest and to these other things. Like, there's a whole chunk of story missing that this film fills in. And you start to go, all oh, right, yeah, no, I see why you're pissed off. Like, I get it. <laughs> um, and so you do sort of, like, your allegiance starts to be tested a bit. But I can imagine a film of almost like a Breaking Bad scenario where, you know... <laughs> Someone, he's gone out with the bestest of intentions to stop these factions from killing each other. And the, the ongoing feuding and fighting, and it's terrible. So he tries to bring them together, but then when he gains power, he starts to get corrupted by that power. So, you know, I think there's a really interesting story there to tell, actually. Like, you know, it could be oh, like... Oh, I, I do too. And he seems to have a kind of, like, uh, you know, classic Roman attitude of... You know, what I really demand, yeah, there's some tribute, there's some taxes, but what I really demand is loyalty to me. Yeah. You know, he doesn't go into, you know, it's like the, the Romans would conquer somebody in, in the traditional mode, of course, it depends who's the provisional governor, but in the traditional mode, they'd say, okay, you know, keep your gods. You know, you can keep mm. your king, that's all fine. You know, you just have to be Roman now and swear allegiance to the emperor. And we're going to have a bigger economic system. And, you know, Ming does, I mean, he's clearly not, like, influencing their cultures. He's not saying, like, you know, you can't worship the hot god or whatever's going on there. Well, that's a really good point, because there's a moment in this when they start to, um, where they try to wipe um, Dr. Zarkov's mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they go back, and, you know, he's obviously got a, a Jewish ancestry, uh, and they go back through his childhood, and then weirdly, like through, um, I suppose it's nineteen eighty. No, mostly through his, his his parents, you know, thing. And they yeah, go through this so whole weird. thing. Yeah, it goes beyond. It's very bizarre. But <laughs> it, it goes back into, and it covers um, the rise of the Nazi Party. It sort of covers this idea of the Holocaust in a very sort of like you know subverted way. And then Hitler pops up, and they say, "Oh, he he definitely had potential." And so yeah. the, there is the there is the you know they're trying to give that the undertone of like yeah the Ming Ming is Hitler and here's his secret police they refer to them as the Mongo you know Mongan secret police and um it's trying to have like say that fascist state but there's never any you know recognition and again you don't know the pre like the pre story but there's never any recognition of genocide or uh, cultural right. appropriation it's all very much like no no. You be you be the Hawkmen, you be the, the you know the, the tree people, you be whoever, but you just yeah say so you're just loyal to me. You just pay me taxes and that's how I live, sort of thing. Yeah, right. It's it is. It's, that seems pretty reasonable. Uh, yeah. My my favorite thing about the mind white is the use of black and white footage. You yes. Know? Like <laughs> yeah. black and white newsreel footage. You know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, my memories are occasionally in black and white. <laughs> That's one of my favorite, so, one of my favorite cliches that ever appear in films is that thing of like whenever you see, you know, they sort of show the things of like flashing through history, and there's always something where like they couldn't have been there to see it, but they'll flash up some newsreel 
just to show it. And it's always a very similar one of Hitler or World War Two. It's it's yeah, so it's it's a definite trope. Um, yeah, and, and, but the you know the Hitler thing, while it's kind of played as a joke, I mean it does kind of complicate the assumption that Earth is all good and mm. you know manga is all bad. Um, you know, obviously there's nothing. Like, there's no social injustice on Earth. I mean, a scientist can just build a rocket ship and nobody really cares, you know. There's a vortex swirling in space, apparently. I mean, you know, just outside of Earth. I mean, nobody cares. I mean, but Earth is a fine place. There's, you know, uh, it just is filled with happy, fun football players and and things like that. Um, And that seems really untrue. I mean... Yeah, you know, is Earth that much better? No, and that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, th- 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 this is this is the question again of of um, you know, I say it's the, it's the the Wizard of Oz reality with all the colourful yeah. stuff. Like you end, you know, you end up in this fantasy world where they do get to win. You know, they get to win, and everyone get you know leads off hand in hand. Um, you know, whether it be with a heart or a brain or some courage, it's. You know, you get Baron as the ruler. You get uh, Zolt- Voltan as the general of the armies, and no one seems to acknowledge the other cultures. <laughs> but they're all, all of a sudden they're like, and we will live hand in hand and help each other. And it's like they've come through it because of this blonde American football player. Um. But yeah, it's it, it it seems like you know, and here's what you can achieve, and it does feel very much like. Um. It's a nice fantasy world that you can go to if you go through this swirling vortex, whether it be a torna- right. whether it be a you know a hurricane, tornado, or a vort- an imperial vortex in space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it does have that fantasy element, um, and but you know that reading seems to only accentuate the idea that. Um, you know, Flash has not managed to, like, unite opposition movements on Earth. No. Um, you know, this is still the height of the Cold War. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, people feared nuclear Armageddon at this point. I mean, it wasn't at the height of the 1950s with, you know, the phony missile gaps and, and all of that. But, um, but I mean, you know, nuclear Armageddon was still a very real thing. Mm. Um Clearly, Flash has not accomplished that on Earth, or we assume so. Um, yeah, I want to see the sequel where he gets when he comes back and they take him to the UN. I want to see how he handles that. I'm, I'm not sure he can handle that with a with a football match and. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. It's it, well, it, he can, it's, you know, he'll give him a speech about you know just unite uh, yeah. <laughs> against these enemies and just it just falls on deaf ears, you yeah. know. Like oh well, I clearly belong on on manga. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an interesting. It's a simplification. That's what it was. The more I say, I mean, you know, there's there's clearly someone. I think you say there's a paper to write there, and I think there is someone a bit more, um, uh, you know, probably a bit more intellectual and, and knowledgeable than me to write it. But I think there's a really is something to search there. This idea of it being a you know the wizard of our story of, of the simplistic fantasy world where you can achieve good over evil and you know with very few complications of border disputes or trade routes or whatever i mean that was the problem with star wars wasn't it really it's 
the, the you know the first trilogy is very much as you said that space fantasy it's there's good versus evil and yeah they introduce some gray in the in the middle but then they do the prequels and they introduce an entire bloody political system that that then you know you you start to it starts to lose that fantasy element really doesn't it yeah i think so and and i think that you know this is something that has always bothered me both about star wars and about flash gordon that you know i've never quite put my finger on um you know obviously like in star wars i always thought you know yeah the empire does some bad things but it's kind of the only game in town um and in fact that's what bugs the hell out of me about the the sequel movies which i guess i overall like you know is yeah you overthrew the empire you're the government now why did you do none of that and and apparently let the, a, a new empire rise you know that's like the rebel empire or something um you overthrow the king now you're the king you've got to do some galactic administration and stuff um and, and i think it's exactly that kind of just pure good guys and pure bad guys um because we both saw flash gordon late um you know if you think this was made in 1980 i mean i i guess you know thatcher's uh already uh prime minister mm-hmm. but reagan hasn't come to power yet mm-hmm. i mean we're we're in the kind of like dark period of the late carter years when you know yeah. i like carter but you know things weren't going great and America had kind of like lost uh, some of its bravado, its confidence, you know. And here comes this idiot actor saying, you know, uh, we're going to make America great again, basically. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, but by the time I watched Flash Gordon, I mean, we we're in a very different era in which, like, Gorbachev had higher approval ratings than Ronald Reagan did. Yeah. Uh, you know, by that point, the idea, you know, like the concept of the evil empire was something that a warmonger would say that was, you know, not um, productive. You know, this kind of black and white view was not productive. And in many ways, Gorbachev was, you know, pushing his country toward peace mm. faster than Reagan was. And Reagan had kind of had to get caught up on that. Um and so in that context, Ming just being the bad guy and here's this, you know, American cowboy bravado coming in uh, struck me as like, I'm rooting for the wrong side. You know, this is not, this is like a little bit like that, that John Wayne Vietnam movie where, you know, you just think, really? Really? Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's true. Though. It's, 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 it, it feels like it's a, it's a, um, it's a fairy tale, isn't it? This is a tale for children. It's that thing of like good and good will win, the end, and they all lived happily yeah. ever after. Um, you know, and, and so you do wonder what the sequel would be and and whatever there could be. Um, yeah, can you can you imagine a dark Empire Strikes Back like sequel? <laughs> yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's the one I want. I want, it, and it ends with uh, Flash losing his hand. And uh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be amazing, actually. Um, I don't, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can. The thing is, though, I see why this film. Again, when you look at the era that, in which it was released, and the other films that were coming out around this time, 
that were doing well, I can see why this didn't do well. If you, you know, you know what I mean? It's that thing of, um, like you say, that by 1980, there was a definite swing in, you know, punk was in and it was all, it was a bit more uh, militant and, you know, we'd had Star Wars, which is show, had shown a sort of um, a scratched up, you know, worn in kind of uh, space. And so to have this sort of polished space, campy space, I can see why it, it didn't succeed. I mean, it's a shame it didn't get the sequel, but, um, you know, it, it, I can see when you when I watch this, I can see also why other films haven't succeeded in other eras. Uh, and again, that sort of the good versus evil, um, you know, kind of thing. It, it's, it's a bit like John Carter when that was released. Yeah. Um, I actually really enjoyed that film. Yeah. Uh, Disney went through a spate of doing this sort of quite. They tried to make these quite simplistic um, early period heroes. I mean, they, they did both The Lone Ranger and John Carter. Right. And the films themselves aren't terrible. I actually quite enjoyed yeah, both I of agree. them. Yeah, I agree. Um, but it's clear that they don't know, they don't know how to add anything in to make them a bit more substantial without diluting yeah. the couch. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, and I think I think you know. I mean, obviously, John Carter is you know probably the closest to uh, Flash Gordon, and mm. I mean, it is planetary romance, um, and yeah, I mean, and I don't know. Unless you go camp, uh, you know how you do that and and sell that. Um, you know it's tough in because it's so shot through with uh, sort of imperialist uh, attitudes and you know and you know good guys and bad guys and you can't really uh, you know you can't really do that. Not to mention you know the the woman is the trophy figure that. Mm the good guy gets i mean you i don't know how you quite do that today um i, I know i know exactly how you do it today it's it was called thor ragnarok <laughs> that's all i, I still to... haven't seen that have you not seen it no 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 I, I i i don't i haven't i literally haven't seen any marvel movies after civil war oh, okay. uh i i'm just out uh <laughs> I, i'm gonna get, get caught up but yeah, I'm so bored with them. They do. Well, this was the thing, and I think they realized they, they, they after Civil War, um, I think they there's a definite loose, loosening of um, the reins uh, to the directors, um, and I think it, the the biggest loosening was to Taito Waititi uh, with Thor Ragnarok, um, and he he is and that's it's a it's. It has tonal problems, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, there are some elements that I, that bother me. It's not a perfect film by a long shot, but it it fully embraces its humour and its campness. In a sense, yeah. it's like so. What is Thor? Right. Well, Thor's this sort of like almost eight. You know, he's been around for thousands of years. Uh, he's he's still arrogant despite being worthy. Um, he's he's basically. A th- he's a, he's basically a bro, like he's a jock bro. Yeah. Um, so what yeah. do you do with him then? Well, you take him out of that and you make him, you know, you make him the fool sort of thing, and that's exactly what they do. And there's just Thor Ragnarok places him in a gladiatorial arena in which he has to prove himself without 
uh, without Milnor. Um, and then he has to help an uprising and unify an army and then take on Ragnarok. And the, the more I was watching Flash Gordon, I was like, this is what Marvel did. They've just, that Thor yeah. 3 is, they've just, it's got the, the neon, it's got the, um, they use the, the music, um, you know, everything is there. And it's, but again, they embraced it and they went with it and everyone, you know, that Thor, like Ragnarok got huge kudos, like both critical and fan um, went mad for it. And I'm wondering like, oh, so that's how you do it. You know, that's, that's it, it, like, I almost wanted to say, like, watching Flash Gordon, is almost like, anyone who likes Thor, Thor Ragnarok, go watch Flash Gordon, because it's not, it doesn't have the budget, but seriously, it's just as fun. Yeah. Um, and again, like, when you see, but, that, when they tried to do with Thor 1 and 2, like you say, it doesn't work. That inter- interplanetary stuff, or interdimensional, whatever you want to call it, if you take it too serious, right? it feels a bit um, pretentious and a bit... Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but I mean, that's a fantastic point about uh, about Thor Ragnarok being, you know, in some ways, uh, you know, Flash Gordon for the new era, and and that was exactly my. I mean, I remember the first. I mean, I really hated the first two Thor movies, and I came out of the first one and I thought that was Howard the Duck done as a serious movie. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. They didn't know how. Um, if anything, I think for How the Duck's probably a more enjoyable film because it's got stuff in it that's incredibly silly. Um, oh, yeah. But it's true. They didn't know what to do with Thor because they'd had the other heroes, you know, you Captain America, yeah, you do the, you do the sort of like the, the pulpy adventure film and then you've got um, for Iron Man, you do the techno adventure kind of film. But yeah, they did not know what to do with Thor until they hit on this sort of like, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy style, yeah, we just go all out, you know, right. and, and it, it works better because what you, it's space, it's 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 huge. Why not go all out? Yeah, it doesn't have to be worldly. I, yeah. Well, you've successfully sold me on Thor Ragnarok, it's which worth, I didn't think was possible. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely worth seeing. Um, it's it's worth a watch uh, if you can rent it from somewhere. I definitely recommend it. Just just to watch it and see it in the context of what you've seen before um, in the films. And and much like, as I say, Brian Blessed is having the time of his life ad-libbing and doing whatever he wants to be, appears in, in Flash Gordon. Um, Chris Hemsworth is has got great comedy timing and puts it to great use in Thor Ragnarok. So um, I, I definitely recommend it. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that always occurs to me is, is, as far as like updating the kind of story is I remember very fondly, I'm a huge fan of the Adam Strange uh, prestige format miniseries that was released sort of late 80s, maybe maybe like 89, 90. Mm. And, and it was kind of spun out of Alan Moore Swamp Thing, which kind of hinted at everything Adam Strange knows is wrong. And and it was super dark. It was, you know, like a revisionist version of a planetary romance where, you know, it's no coincidence that Adam Strange went to the planet Rand. You know, he was selected. Yeah. And he's there to be like a breeding stock. And 
all of these uh, adventures are just kind of set up for him to boost his masculine ego and make them think that they need him for something other than, you know, breeding stock because they're dying out. Um, and I still love that. I mean, it's dark as hell. I mean, yeah. if, they, if they did a version of Flash Gordon like that, people would think it was too dark and too Batman v Superman, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, that kind of disillusioned me of a lot of the tropes of planetary romance. Um, you know, the sort of coincidental going to an alien planet and, and needing to be the hero and, and all of that. Uh, I think it kind of related me against some of that, although I still find, I still find the, you know, those tropes work. Hmm. Yeah, no, I see what you mean. I think, is it, because the trope, the tropes, and this thing with these, it's like cliches, isn't it? They, they're, they're there for a reason because they do, they form, in many cases, sort of like the strongest part of it. But, so there, there was, I've not seen that, Adam, the Adam Strange one, I'll have to, I'll have to uh, check that out. But, so do, I mean, I'm trying to think if there's anything else, you know, where it ha- where they have tried to do that. I mean, the thing is, in this day and age, you have got, um, you know, it's not so much interplanetary romance, but you have these space dramas that they've got, like The Expanse and... Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of some others. They've, they've, where they've done and done them a bit more, you know, they've taken them dead serious and, and even like you know the, the most recent you know star trek discovery and that's what they've, they've given them a different tone um a slightly darker slightly sort of you know c- could you do that with um flash gordon but would you have to change the structure could he still be the hero or would you need him to like you say to play a, a different role in it all yeah it's so tough i mean mm. You know, because I can envision what that would look like, but I don't think anyone but me would like it. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, the sort of dark Flash Gordon where, you know, I'm one man, what difference can I make? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's yeah. not Flash Gordon. Um, uh, you know, and sort of deconstructing all those tropes. I mean, I-, I would dig it, but I can't imagine selling that as a summer blockbuster. I, mean, I think there's other ways of doing it. I mean, like you say, there's, uh, yeah. I mean, the, you know, the idea of maybe catching up with a Flash that's older and he's been on Mongo for a couple of years, you know, decade maybe, and he he rides on a wave of celebrity, thinking he's this great hero. But what he actually finds out is, for this past decade, uh, everything, all these adventures and everything he's been on has actually been an interplanetary form of entertainment. Um, and it's yes. always been like some sort of like twisted reality TV show that he didn't know about, you know, like a Mojo World kind of scenario. Um, and like, I wonder what that effect would then have on him that he actually finds out that none of it was ever uh, real. And this wave of celebrity is more about his legit. You know, he's more the fact that he's a TV star than that he's been kept away from uh, than an actual hero. Did you read uh, Mark Miller's uh, Starlight? No, I, I didn't. It was, I, 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 it's one of those I keep slipping from. I do. I should read it. Is it good? Yeah, I quite like it. Um, but it, it it takes as its premise a kind of uh, Flash Gordon or uh, Adam 
strange sort of you know, planetary romance figure who has been on Earth for a while and basically put all that behind him. He's really old. He's a kind of, It's a kind of like Dark Knight Returns sort of. Mm. He's old now. But he's been away from it. And in the meantime, you know, the Ming character has conquered everything. And he goes back as an old man and sort of rediscovers... But it's played straight. It's not a dark dystopian thing. Yeah. Uh, it, it is kind of updated tonally, but uh, you know, he goes back and and everything works out. But um, but you know, he kind of rediscovers that joy of adventuring, and I, mm. I could see you know that in a kind of like Tomorrowland kind of way of that kind of you know, which I really dig that kind of like way in which instead of revising the genre in ways that subtract from, you know, its original appeal, you kind of acknowledge the times past, acknowledge that some of these tropes don't, don't work anymore. You know, yeah, you know, you were young and you thought, you know, um, you know, you freed us all from Ming, but in the aftermath, things didn't go so well. You know, we're still glad you came. We still love you, but you know, um, didn't quite work maybe out. it wasn't, yeah, maybe it wasn't, you know, maybe overthrowing Ming doesn't mean we all still get along. Yeah. And maybe we're right back into civil war, you know. I wonder, I mean, the thing I like say about these characters and, you know, they, there's always talk of certain, you know, certain, um, golden age characters being brought back for whatever purpose and not just in comics, but I wonder how, how that could it be done. And I think, all it can be done, like you know, like I say, I think John Carter was a bit of a misfire. I enjoy it, but I understand why it didn't work for the wider audiences. Um, but then I wonder, like you know, could you update and do a Doc Savage? Could you update and you know do like the Shadow, or could you actually make John Carter work? Or I mean, another example actually, I suppose, is, is the the Tarzan film that came out a couple of years ago. That was a very straightforward, uh, like you know, Tarzan adventure, which it looked great. It had several interesting set pieces, but overall was incredibly bland. Um, yes. You know, so you know, are those characters done and dusted, or you, know, you say, can they be? Is there a way of reinvigorating some of that adventure? Well, I, I, I got to believe it can be done. I mean, I think that, you know, we still like adventure stories. I mean, and in some ways, you know, the, the current Hollywood audience is more conditioned to, you know, one fight scene after another mm-hmm. and, and just kind of, you know, action for its own sake and, and not thinking too much about the plot. So, I mean, that might work, you know, in your advantage. But I think that there's no there's no way that you can update something like that and not acknowledge some of the ways in which those tropes have aged. Mm. Um, even if it's in a winky way, you know, the sort of, um, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, you mentioned, you know, the sort of guardians of the galaxy thing. I mean, there's no way that was supposed to, that you would think that would work on screen. And yet, you know, you, you have the sort of winky stuff and, um, you know, I think you can you can do it. I've got to believe it can be done, but I don't know that you can just present a sort of, you know, American... I mean, 
even today, the fact that he's an American football player and he's white mm. brings up, you know, the whole, whole protest movement with Kaepernick and everything. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, well, he's a football player. Does he kneel for the anthem or not? Mm-hmm. What does he think about this? I mean, we're just in such a different era. Yeah. Um, so I think you have to acknowledge these things. I don't think you can. I mean, I think one of the mistakes of a lot of that these a lot of these updates make is that they either don't want to acknowledge those things at all and just play it straight, or they want to um, acknowledge them and turn it into something dark and you know, uh, so subverting of its tropes that it's not really the same story anymore. Mm. No, I think you're right, and I think that's true. And I think there is, there's always a way of, of doing it, you know, in a, in a new and interesting way. And I think you're, you, you're right in that when you, when each, with each sort of decade you look at um, the influence of those old characters, you know, going back to the pulp heroes or the serial characters of sort of like Flash Gordon and um uh, um doc savage and those sorts of characters they become something else they become indiana jones or yeah you know they then then they do become the guardians of the galaxy and, and the marvel heroes i mean you know no one no one reads anymore apparently um so yeah you know <laughs> are, are the fast and the furious films and the marvel films really just the pulp entertainment of today you yeah know, i think so so you know that's where those characters. That, so really, like you know, yeah, I, I think. Well, I mean, you know, I always when I think of uh, Flash Gordon, um, and I, I guess I think of the sort of subgenre more generally. Yeah, you know, I always think about you know the sort of crisis of masculinity mm. that you know. I, I mean, I think is a real thing. I mean, I think that you know, obviously, I don't think that it's as bad a problem as say you know women not having basic rights i don't think you know these things are comparable and i'm not a man's movement guy for that reason but i do think that you know i mean we've just had a, another rash of school shootings over here mm. and you know a lot of these violent men are dealing with you know some of it is just retrograde not you know not wanting women in the workplace not wanting you know wondering where's my trophy uh dale you know figure yeah um but some of it is you know sort of um if if you were raised with a kind of and maybe this is part of toxic masculinity but if you were raised in a culture that says to be a man you've got to accomplished great things i mean we have a president who who says that stuff right says yeah, yeah. he was genetically superior yeah. um i mean we have a lot of these messages about masculinity i think that uh you know flash gordon is a kind of you know i mean if it is a wizard of oz fantasy it's a very gendered fantasy yeah. uh, despite the women not being just two-dimensional of here's a different world where I can make a difference and, um, and be the hero and be respected and, and carve out some kind of through masculine force and optimism, some kind of, um, status for myself, um, in which I can have that masculine adventure that is so separate 
that is divorced from, you know, the world of the cubicle. Mm. It is. It's, it's, it's truly a male fantasy, isn't it? To, to go off and to be the hero in your own story um, and to win the girl and to be, you know, adored for it. Um, so, yeah, I suppose, you know, and there are so many of those um, in all... I mean, it's so prevalent in... Uh, you know, I was going to say in cinema of this era, but it's it's prevalent in all cinema, really, isn't it? Because the majority of these are um, white male characters fulfilling the hero fantasy. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, so it, I mean, I guess I, I guess I kind of wonder how you know the, the that Wizard of Oz fantasy, as I think you correctly identified it sort of fits into, um, you know, if we're talking about uh, Gordon being the current and how we update Flash Gordon or understand Flash Gordon today, um, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a campy, fun film that, you know, maybe couldn't be made today, maybe it was a few years after its time mm. or also a decade before its time in a mm. weird way. Yeah. Um, but then, how you know, I mean, does it not, you know, is it not also, you know, sort of disturbing in, in these other ways in which Earth is just fine and, you know, here's the the, the white guy fantasy, um, you know, is, is some version of the Flash Gordon myth living in the mind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody who shoots up a school? Uh, I mean, I, that might be going too far and that's unfair to put on Flash Gordon and I'm not trying to say that. But you know what I'm saying. No, no, I do. No, I totally. Male fantasy. It's it is, and I think it's it's it's, you know, it it could go one way or the other that they believe that what they are doing is that taking control of their life and achieving that white male fantasy, you know, whether it be with the gun in their hand or whatever. But or it could be the fact that they are just lashing out because they didn't get to fulfil that that white male fantasy. You know, they didn't get to yeah. fulfil themselves as being the hero in that story. That they came out of a scenario where, um, for whatever, whether they were, whether they were bullied at school or whether whatever whatever happened to them, whatever you know, whatever is driven them to it. And I'm not saying this this counts for all of these individuals, but you know, there's always that few where they've got into the real world or they've got into a situation when they've gone, yeah, do you know what? This isn't. This isn't the, the, a nice place. I'm not going to become adored, and I'm not going to become a Cardassian or you know a Kennedy. <laughs> and so I'm then going to go and take out on this place that kept telling me that everyone could be president if we worked hard enough. Yeah. Um, well, and I think that you know, and I, I, I don't want to excuse or, or over sympathise with mm. you know the villains of these incidents, but I do think that you know whether whether we classify it as, as part of the overall, you know, patriarchy or toxic masculinity or, or whatever term we want to use, especially over here. I mean, American boys are still uh, maybe less so today than a generation ago. But I mean, we are still, you know, told we are special. We are going to amount to something. I mean, if we have supportive parents you know if we're if we're white if we have some privilege mm. um it's definitely shot through with with all of that uh that privilege but um 
you know, Flash Gordon certainly, and, and a lot of our, our, you know, sort of male action hero kind of figures um, sort of play into that. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think I'll just, you know, I'm just thinking about it and that masculinity and stuff, it's, it's, um, it does sit behind a lot of those things. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's why I think films like Rocky Four are so successful. It's, it's that <laughs> thing of like, it's ridiculous fun, but to see Rocky win over, you know, the, uh, ten, not really, the, towards the end of the Cold War, but to win over the Russian Politburo, you know, yeah. it, 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 yeah. you, you do, you get, you're like, yeah, I'm British, and even I'm chanting for him. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but you, 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 you've got your adrenaline pumping, and these films know how to to build and that my wife could watch Rocky Four and sit there in a complete you know like I this is ridiculous sort of scenario but I'm up on my feet and I'm and it's the same and you get you chant for these characters and these heroes and you do get your your masculinity gets brought up into it I suppose and uh, they know how to play on that um and it's interesting to see that you know that 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 you then get up on Monday morning and you go into work and like you say you either sit in your cubicle or you go and do your job and the this escapist um, male fantasies it's it's you know are they still are they still valid or is it for a smaller audience these days? Yeah, well, I mean, I've got to think that it's it's for a smaller audience, but um, I mean, you know, the you know, I mean, here again, like. The, the way in which Flash Gordon is a, is a football player. I mean, he's already famous on Earth. You know, that, that kind of reading of the story and, and the sort of like, you know, Alice in Wonderland kind of, you know, um, or, or, I mean, Wizard of Oz kind of, uh, um, you know, through the looking class fantasy mm-hmm. of Flash Gordon, you know, sort of works better if if he's just a, a schlub going into a cubicle. Yeah. Um, I, I've always been, you know, I guess that's another way in which I'm sort of bothered by, you know, Flash um, having this background. Yeah, and it's interesting because one of the, uh, again, one of the, one of the little tidbits of information in the, um, the material I read from the, the DVD I've got, the director actually acknowledges, you know the T-shirt that says Flash on it? That he's wearing at the beginning. Um, he was given. He says, "Oh, he always thought the backstory that he was given it by a fan, um, and so he, you know, and he enjoys wearing this thing that a fan has given him." So, like you say, he's already win- living the white male fantasy. You know, he's he's like you say, he's yeah. adored by fans. He gets to win on a you know, you know, put in the work. He trains. He obviously puts in the you know, if he wins as a qu- he's the quarterback as well. So he's not like it's not like he's tight. You know, Flash Gordon, tight end or. You know, t- uh, yeah. Flash Gordon, running back. No, he's the quarterback. He is the he's the key player in the team. Um, yeah, so it's it's right. He's um, it's it's interesting because I think you know you, you mentioned Mark Miller before uh, in his series Wanted. Um, mm-hmm. It does play into that. You know, both in the film slightly different, but in the, in the actual comic series. The character is that he's a schlub that you know he does a he lives a cubicle life. Only to find out that he's the heir to a um, a lineage of um, these secret assassins, you know, in this, mm-hmm. this this villainous world, and he goes off and he becomes this awesome sort of like character and gets to live out all this sort of crazy shit. It's the same, but like you say, because he comes from a 
you know, also, you know that that sort of like mediocrity, it sort of lands more. It, it just it, it, with more weight than I suppose than Flash Gordon, who's going from a ten to a ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite. Yeah, that's a that's a good way of putting it. You know, going from a ten to a ten. I mean, when when does Flash Gordon really suffer? Um, you know, even in the movie, even when he faces adversity. He's, you know, I mean, like, at least Indiana Jones goes like, oh, you know, mm. this, you can tell, like, Indiana Jones is not enjoying this half the stuff he goes through. Um, but, you know, Flash Flash never, you know, he's perfect. I mean, he never lets, uh, uh, you know, that uh, steely jaw uh, break. Yeah. That's all. Well, yeah, and there's, there's also, because I don't know how long he's been dead for, but they're like, He's clearly been executed, and then his body is taken away, and he is he is revived. But there's like no adverse effects from that at all. It's just sort of like he is. He's just he's just, he's, he's a, he is technically almost like the Mary Sue kind of character, isn't he? Because everything he does, he is successful at. Like he never fails. Yeah, I you know on an unrelated note, I was thinking of like the you know there's that great line. Uh, by uh, the main Hawkman, uh, I forget his name, uh, Voltar. Vol- um, Brian Blessed's character, Voltan. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Where he says, you know, do you want to live forever? Yes. Yeah. Straight out of Starship Troopers. Um, yeah. You know, there, there's definitely a, a kind of, I mean, like on the on the positive side, I mean, there's a, there's a kind of joy even to the fight scenes in this movie. Even the fight scenes don't get. You know, if Flash doesn't doubt himself, um, yeah, there's debate over, like, should we really do this? But once they're committed to it, it's like, this is so much fun, <laughs> you know? And yeah. you see, you know, Blessing is having, a, like you said, he's having the time of his life, even when he's in mortal danger. Yeah, yeah. And, well, that's that's one of the things about this film that, that, like you say, you know, is Ming the better option? Because at the end of it, you have Baron as the leader, and then you have Voltan as your general who clearly enjoys fighting and war. And I'm thinking, yeah. is he the best person to be... Like, in? Who are you going to fight? Or is he just going to start picking fights now to sort of so his Hawkmen can go out into battle and stuff? It's, um... Yeah. Oh, yeah, so there is the potential for, like, a, a dark sequel where it's all gone wrong. Um, and... Uh, Voltan has turned on him and there's uh, been an uprising and uh, a a military coup. That's that's what the sequel is. It was a military coup led by Voltan. That's what I think we have. Yeah. Well, you know, that's what they say, you know, a happy ending is just, uh, I mean, you see it in Shakespeare, right? You know, a happy ending is just where you end the story. Yes. Um, Because even if everybody gets married and it's all good, you know, they're going to die. Yeah. Uh, you know, the kingship isn't going to be peaceful and happy forever. Um, and it's real easy to, to end on that kind of like a new hope, you know, sort of like metal ceremony. It's all good. Uh, you know, uh, kick up the music and, and everybody feels like, all right, the bad guy was defeated. Mm. But there's always that sort of what next question. And I especially feel it where you have an empire dethroned or, you know, Ming's out of the picture, uh, sort of, you know, how is government going to work now? Is there a plan for this? Yes, that's it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, it's, it's a really interesting um, 
like you say, it opens up a lots of lots of avenues. Um, but to bring it round, to bring it round to uh, um, the end of that. So if you, if if you were to give, could you give this film a score out of ten though, as a film, as an entertainment film? Could you give it a score? Oh, uh, I mean, for me, that's such a hard question because it is so bizarre and yeah. so uniquely itself. Um, I mean, there are ways that, you know, it's so committed to what it's doing that it's a 9 or 10 out of 10. Yeah. But, you know, there are ways in which it doesn't know what it's doing, um, you know, or is uncontrolled uh, that, um, you know, it's, it's obviously a lesser film than that. Um, I mean, I, I, I think it's... Uh, relatively enjoyable mm-hmm. um it certainly holds up uh in that regard so yeah i don't know um you know i mean i i maybe give it a seven yeah Split i know the difference yeah no i know what, what you mean you no I, I felt the same because i was really sort of like watching it and it is it's as i watched it like the score f- changes um you know, because like you say, there's bits where you go, yeah, I think it's it's really gone off the rails a little bit at this point. I'm really not sure what they're doing. And then when you get to the sort of the third act, and like you say, everyone's just gung ho and like, yeah, let's just go crazy. I'm re- I'm in it, and I'm and I'm I'm like you say, I'm fully behind them, and it's um, I'm I'm happy that it's committed to its own ridiculousness. That I do, <laughs> I think like yeah, I, I I I couldn't give it like a a nine or a ten because like you say, there are certain aspects that are just a bit meh. Uh, so a seven seems is, I would say is very fair. I think that's, that's pretty much where I landed. Um, and again, I think it can even be depending on what mood I'm in would, would nudge that, you know, maybe up to a seven and a half or maybe down to a six, whatever. Um, but it's yeah. def it's definitely, uh, an entertaining film, um, that really does deserve its cult status. Yeah. And it, I mean, it is for sure a, a kind of pop culture masterpiece. I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, like, Rocky Horror and some other yes. campy stuff. Uh, you know, and I feel like that has... Part of why I like that is that it has a, a deeper message behind it. It's, it's over the top, but, you know, it gets at stuff that, you know, that means a lot to me. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. But I also think when it, when a film almost sort of completely owns what it is, it's gonna find its audience because there's somebody looking for that. I think you know when you get films that eventually water themselves down or shy away maybe from it, like you say, it, it becomes a little flatter. Um, and I think that's just yeah. Like, I, oh, go on. Yeah, I mean it's you know I mean I totally agree with that and i I think that's my you know i mean definitely from the art for art's sake movement forward i mean you're supposed to judge a work of art based on what it wants to be not what you want it to be Mm. and so you know it's a little unfair of us to you know to be like well flash is too perfect you know Mm -hmm. well that's true but you know that's clearly its vision Mm. um i mean it, it doesn't really you know divorce from that at all um or diverge from that so i mean i i'm definitely in, in that camp but then there are some things you know um where i think you know boy this commits to itself but it doesn't have the charm of a flash gordon 
Um, you know. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah, I think you make a good point. Like you say, it's yeah. Some films to say you can commit, but you can be off on certain aspects. It, like, or, or the cast isn't in it, or like you know they don't hit the right tone, or. Um, Again, I think it's a bit like that. There are films that I think of that, like you say, they owned what they were and, and you know, where, and, and the world they lived in. Um, and I think they find their own. I think of like the Terry Gilliam films. Um, oh, yeah. I think of things like Bukaru Bonsai. Um, yeah. Little Shop of Hot. Not Little Shop of. Even like even Little Shop of Horrors, but I was thinking of uh, Big Trouble in Little to- um, uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Those films that do just go, oh, yeah, we are going to be this. <laughs> And yeah, well, I, I, I was also thinking of, like, you know, like, early Burton, like, you know, I mean, Kiwi's Big Adventure, or Beetlejuice, yes. or, you know, I mean, these are just weird, weird visions, um, but they are eternally consistent and, and so charming, and Buckaroo Banzai is totally like that. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, like you say, they don't always, these, these are films that have never, they don't really do well at the cinema, because they probably haven't got the widest appeal. But when they find their audience, that audience will love that film and they will commit to it. Um, and I think well, that's for a... that reason alone, I mean, I, I think it's a Flash Gordon is a, a movie that everybody has to see at least once. Yes, I agree. It's on that must-see list. Okay, listeners, there you have it. Our discussion on Flash Gordon. I uh, said Queen, Brian Blessed, and uh, Ming the Merciless, everything. So, Julian... Just come back to it now, sort of, you know, thinking all these times later. Do you still think this film stands up? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, and I think that the really interesting thing to me is I, I don't love this movie, um, but it's such a touchstone. And I think it's especially a touchstone when we talk about, uh, you know, what qualifies as, as good and how something can be fun and we enjoy it and it works without it necessarily being smart or really making yeah. sense. I mean, you know, nothing on Mongo makes sense. Yes. What about you? Uh, no, the same. It's, it's it's that thing of just it's just sort of one of those films that when I go back to it, it's uh, it's just like pulp fun. You know what I mean? Like you say, it doesn't make a great deal of sense in many times. The acting's not tremendous across the board, um, but it is. It, it's just sort of like, it is like a truly sort of like um, it's the imagination behind it. I also find quite impressive. Yeah, but, uh, and, I, and I think the 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 costumes, uh, some yeah. special effects. I mean, I you know the funny thing is it's a, a few years later than the original Star Wars. It's just three. Um, it is not as fun. The special effects aren't kind of quite as good. But then it's got that Queen soundtrack, and it's mm. got you know just some fun crazy stuff in it. And I think it it kind of compares for me to Star Wars, just in my oh, yeah. estimation. No, I agree. And you know, this is one of those films that even since this, rev- the, you know, the, the review that we sort of uh, that's just been in, I've I've been back and watched this film, and it is just like daft fun. Like it's it's so ridiculous, and I think sort of the 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 football scene, the football fight scene <laughs> in, in the throne room, just sort of epitomizes like how ridiculous it is, but how much fun it is. Like you know, I I, I love the music in that scene. I love the action. It makes zero sense, <laughs> um, but yeah, I want the no, beaming so... the merciless. I mean, that's that's when I, <laughs> when I apply for a job, I say that is my ideal job. What do you have that's similar to that? 
Yeah, I hope I hope it's not one of those scenarios there where they say, "Was it dress for the job you want, not the job you have?" Because I think <laughs> sort of ma- maintaining those collars and capes and things can be incredibly difficult. Oh, you're telling me. Um, you know, people <laughs> look at you weird. You know, when you go out for yeah. coffee afterwards, they're like, "What? What cosplayer is that?" No, I'm just dressing for the job I want, brother. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> this is the this is me in career mode. Um, <laughs> But one of the things we've said and we're sort of starting to do is now to look at this from a rating point of view. As you said, is it good? Is it is it good or is it fun? So, but I'm going to ask now, Julian, at 10, what, what would you give this film? I give it a six. So mm. we gave Planet of the Apes, both of us, seven. For me, this is a solid six. I could see somebody going lower if it doesn't work for them. Um, but uh, for me, this is a solid six. <laughs> I know, seriously, I'm going to go a little higher for me. It's a yeah. six, I was going to go a 6.5 um, because it just ekes over to that sort of thing of the ridiculous, like sublime. You know, like you, sometimes you look at this and I'm like, I can't believe what is on screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yet it's so, it's so sort of like mesmerizing. Like, you know, watching Hawkmen clearly not fly, <laughs> but like, I'm like, yeah, it looks great. I'm, I'm all right. So, yeah, this, well, this is a fun film. I agree, and I and I think that one of the problems in these in these ratings is always sort of how do you come up with a rating, right? I mean, is mm. it is it like, you know, one to ten? Do I think this is good and well put together and it makes sense? I mean, it is good and well put together, but it not necessarily in a normal way. And then how yeah. do you bias that for how important it is for and and also a big thing for me how much fun it is. So. Mm. If this is like a 10 to you out of fun, like you just enjoy every minute of it, but you know, it's probably like a, a, a <laughs> you know, mid range sort of as a movie. How do you adjust that rating to account for the fact that you would recommend this? And it's, and it's an amazing movie in its own right. No, I agree. I think that's the, that's sort of and the, to say there are things that are incredibly fun, but there are moments where this does drag and that, you know, there's some odd choices that are sort of, I would say that you know, sort of, some of the politics of it haven't aged well, um, but no, it, it's it's uh, yeah. I think I think this is a good, one. and I'm glad I say, as we said in the intro, sort of, I'm glad we're getting this discussion out to this to the listeners. Um, another cracking film for them to enjoy, uh, absolutely. And I'm hoping, especially for those that are keeping up, you know, for those that are keeping up, uh, you know, we're giving you something special here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I, so, I think it's it's important to discuss Flash Gordon, right? And we had this awesome is. discussion of Flash Gordon, and I don't want to repeat that discussion. It's not, you know, I don't mind covering Flash Gordon again, but we never have that exact same conversation. And you and I know where we stand on it. We've been through that as a as a people. We've been through that yeah. together, Scott. So yeah. I, we 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 battled through and we survived <laughs> Flash Gordon. That's... <laughs> so right. yes, well, listeners, thank you very much as usual. This is another bonus episode. We've got a couple more sort of st- stuck up our sleeves that are going to be coming your way soon. So hopefully you're enjoying these before we get into the next season. But uh, in the meantime, thank you very much, and Julian, thank you very much. Thank you, Scott. On to the next one. streams.